Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, but I am not Stephen Box. Uh, my name is Dave Colmel, and I am a filthy colonial who, like most Americans, has stolen something wonderfully British and will promptly ruin it by covering it in ketchup and mustard today. Uh, fortunately for all of us, uh, I am joined today by the founder of Vanguard Tactics, my good friend and 40K mentor, the Union Jack to my Captain America, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, how you doing? Dave, I'm wonderful. That was a fantastic intro, mate. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. It's, uh, it's really exciting to be here. Yeah, it's kind of like I'm passing over the reins to you for a little while to see how we get on. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'm going to do my best to carry the torch, not trip and burn my face. And then, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes from there. Nice. No, honestly, I'm excited for it. So before we uh, move any forward, I think it's probably worth, Dave, introduce yourself a little bit. So how long have you been playing 40K? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so I've been uh, playing 40K since uh, around 1995. Uh, I was working at a comic book store when I was in college and one of the other guys there played 40K and said, you should check this out. So I checked it out and I've been playing on and off uh, since 95. Uh, and then, then uh, I took a long break uh, because of adulting responsibilities, which we all know and hate. Uh, and then I got back into it, like I think a lot of people did uh, during COVID, during the lockdown. Everybody was like, well, I, I got all the free time on my hands. I've got that pile of shame off in the corner. I should start building and painting just so I don't go insane. And so I got back into it and I had already been listening to this podcast. I'm an attorney and I was at the time I was working in Southern California and I was driving to and from courthouses all around the land. and listening to your, your podcast. And then I joined the Academy in September of 2020, I think. So I've been on, yeah, I've been with the Academy for about a year and a half and uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's my background. I'm i uh, I'm a towel player at heart, but I've, but I was uh, selling my soul to the death watch last year. Well, you had a little, a little stint with the Imperial fists first of all. Right. And then we kind I of encouraged did. you to move over to the death watch. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, you know, when I first had gotten back into it, I, I hadn't played in, in since like sixth edition. And then, uh, you know, when, when I just came back in right before ninth edition and I was like, Oh, okay. I'll, I just joined the Academy. I'll, I'll take my towel to a, to a to my first ninth edition RTT. And, uh, uh, I got smoked. And so I was like, Oh, everybody's playing power armor. I'll, I got to switch over to space Marine. So I pulled out and dusted off my old Imperial fist collection and then realized about five, six months in that I was playing the game on hard mode. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, well, you transitioned over to death watch, right? And that's given you a little yeah, bit. You, yeah. You and I had that one-to-one -one call. Uh, we had that one-to-one -one, uh, video call, which, and talked about, you know, what I wanted out of the game and my play style and all that. And you, you uh, sold me on switching over to, uh, to death watch, uh, which I did. And then, uh, I got some uh, some other great advice from uh, from Michael Costello, another one of our great VT coaches, and he he gave me some additional pointers, and uh, I was able to take it all the way from never winning a thing at an event to going three and three at LVO a couple weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, mate. No, that's brilliant. So, Steve, uh, what are we talking about today? So, I thought it'd be quite a good idea if we really looked at obviously the new chapter approved book. It's not something we've done yet, uh, but the Warzone Nackmund Grand Tournament Mission Pack. And this is something that I'm really passionate about. I think this book is awesome. Um, I love the changes. Obviously, I'm very biased in my position that I, ha I hold at the moment. Um, but, you know, I'm very, very happy that this has come out. And I think it's going to be really exciting for, you know, the community. Um, I think last time when chapter approved came out, 
there was a lot of negativity that the missions didn't change just the secondaries. And the reason for that was obviously we hadn't had the testing ground um, to really understand who and what the missions were doing for um, because of COVID, because of lockdown. Most of the player base was still unable to play. Obviously, sometimes we as a competitive place are a lot more vocal and we live in an echo chamber and we need to remember there's a lot of people out there that aren't in that space and games workshop need to make sure they cater for everybody but enough time's gone on it's now a case of you know looking at this with a much more sort of um well-rounded approach looking at new missions new secondary adjustments to make sure there's better balance throughout the game and i really think this mission pack is on point for that so yeah excited to talk you through it today dave oh great uh, but I think uh, before we get into the the meat of meat and potatoes of that, I do believe we have some sponsor acknowledgements we got to throw in here. Yes, obviously, massive thank you to C Studios for you know providing us with their premium level of commission painting service. Our Tau army is now on the tables, which is awesome. Obviously, their codex is out, and uh, honestly, that army is beautiful. So, C Studios, thank you so much. And also, we'll be heading over to a spotlight with James from C Studios to help you get battle ready at the end of this show. Um, also. We've got some announcements to do as well, mate, haven't we? Uh, we do. Uh, you, there's some exciting stuff coming up for Vanguard Tactics, so uh, lay it on me. So the first one is the Academy is currently open for enrollment. Now, the Academy's been closed since October, so if you're listening and you're thinking, right, you know, I probably thought about signing up, now is the time because you've got until the 25th, the 25th to get enrolled on the Vanguard Tactics Academy. That is the last day you'll be able to enroll um, so we've had a couple of requests for, oh, you know, it needs to coincide with payday. So we've extended it a few extra days just to fit in with people's budgets a little bit more. So the 25th of February is the last day you can enroll on the Academy. We've got lots of different options. And all you need to do is head over to the Vanguard Tactics website and you'll see all the different packages and tiers that we have. We've got payment plans. We've got a brochure that you can look through absolutely everything, all the different modules in. Yeah, We've really spent a long time revamping the course um, and we're really, really proud of it. So uh, we took the old academy, put it in the bin and just made a completely new, better one. So uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And the momentum we've got so far, we're currently in week one. So if you do join uh, next week, you won't be missing out on too much. It's very easy to catch up on the first week's worth of content. Awesome. And uh, are the uh, are you still going to be doing the seven day uh, introduction uh, classes as well? So the seven day uh, challenge for beginners is going to be running every month. So we're going to be running that at some point in uh, February um, or maybe the beginning of March. Um, so we haven't got a date just on that yet, but the seven day challenge will be back if you're completely new to the game and you just want to learn the fundamentals. It's a great introduction before then maybe doing the academy later on in the, in that time period. Also, um, we've had a, since the, LVO workshop with Frontline Gaming went so, so well. Vanguard Tactics has now been invited back to every single super major that Frontline Gaming run, which is incredible. I'm absolutely stoked. So we are going to be running another workshop at the Bay Area Open. It's going to be our next one. If you would like to get onto the waiting list for that, as the last one did sell out at the LVO, whether you're playing at the BAO or not, if you're in the San Francisco area, is that correct? Yeah. So if you're in the San Francisco area and you want to come for, you know, some hours of 40K tuition with me and the team, then all you need to do is head over to our blog page where you can find all of our podcast episodes and you'll see a waiting list there where you can sign up for that. So we've got the, we've got the Academy, 
We've got the workshop. And finally, if you want something that is completely for free and you're interested in Tau, you might be interested in this, Dave. We've now taken on Carl Grundy, the number one ITC Tau player of last season. He's now joined Vanguard Tactics. He's a good friend of ours and uh, somebody know, I've known for a long, long time. He's running a free masterclass that you can get signed up for. And again, I'll put all the links to that. And that is happening Wednesday on the 23rd of February, a free masterclass all about looking at Tau army lists. So, um, And we've also got a competition to be in for a prize. We're giving away three combat patrol boxes for people that, um, you know, potentially enter in that giveaway. So head over to the blog page on www.vanguardtactics.com and you can find all the information you need to get entered or any of those things that we spoke about today. That's great. Uh, all right. So, uh, well, let's, I, I know everyone wants us to get to what we were supposed to talk about, but uh, before I forget, uh, everybody listening to this, uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing and uh, you you want to get more information about the Academy or just uh, some all the great coaching tips and advice uh, that Steve and the other guests on this podcast can provide, please uh, like, share, subscribe, give us a five-star review on whatever uh, service you're listening to us on. And uh, please, you know, help, help with those uh, search optimization and all that so we can get some more popularity and really get the word out there uh, to help improve uh, everyone's uh participation in this in the community and in the game absolutely just that five-star review is what we need in life but anyway uh, it's all appreciated everything um or if you know you're sharing things on instagram tag us in if you're listening um yeah it's always great to hear from you all right so uh before we get into the the warzone knockman grand tournament book i i have a question uh, and i think that it's it's something that a lot of people are going to uh want to hear about which is you know everybody though especially those people who couldn't go to lvo they want to know, you know, a little bit more about how it went. Um, you are obviously well well known as a Blood Angels player, and then for most of last year, you were playing Sisters with your, with your Bloody Rose list. That I actually saw some people uh, repping at, at LVO, uh, but then you, at the last minute, switched over to Custodies for LVO. Um, I don't want to go too deep into your your list and all that, but I just want to, you know. How did, what was your decision-making behind taking custodies? And then after that, let's want to talk about, you know, what sort of missions you were taking with that list. And then maybe that'll pivot into our discussion today. Yeah. So the reason why I took custodies, I had, I had one non-negotiable for that event and that was I had to travel easily. So, um, I was limited by space of how much I could take in my case. And for me, the Adeptosaurus, my, uh, order of the martyr lady list would not have, you know, been able to survived the journey so unfortunately i took the custodes um i actually really enjoyed using them um i actually started listening to some of the books of the law around it as well to really help myself immerse into the play style a little bit more and i actually really really enjoyed them so had a fantastic time there uh with that i had a couple of really cool dreadnoughts with spears had loads of bikes you know fast moving you know flying units a little bit like the blood angels um with getting that plus one to wound on the charge so there was a lot of similarities between Basically, you just think extreme sanguinary guard was literally the list I take. So, yeah, on the whole, um, I found myself at a lot of the cases, and this is actually what we can talk about today, is actually taking a lot of the mission-specific secondaries because custodes don't have options um, in their codex very well. So, should I say, they're not great. They're very, very hard to achieve. They're very situational. So, they're not standout picks like some other books. So um, I found myself actually yeah, taking secondaries from the missions, whether it was staying alive, whether it was holding a certain objective, doing actions in a certain place. So for me, that is a big, big change now with obviously this Knackman pack that we're going to review. 
Um, but then, you know, I've had a recent event where I took the custodies, had a great time as well there. And now I'm just in a case of tweaking my list because the weekend after this comes out, we are having the, well, we're attending as Team VT, the international team event. Uh, and that is run by Zach, who also runs uh, the London Grand Tournament. And we've got myself, I'm on the Custodes. You can only take a Codex once. We've got Ben Jones, he's on the Drakari. We've got Michael Costello, who's on the Death Watch. We've got Jack Downing on the Tau. And we've also got Matt Chin on our Necrons. So they're the armies that we've decided to put forward in our team. And obviously each player is then allocated a faction in which we feel we're strongest on. Um, yeah, so I'm on Custodes for... And now it's not a case of tweaking my list to make sure it's playable in every mission against every army uh, to make sure I can bring back as many points for the team as possible because we've got a very strong lineup there. Looking forward to seeing how we do. And so that with that tournament coming up, that's obviously they're going to be using the the new Nakaman Grand Tournament book. And so that pivots us into uh, the, the real reason we're all here today. Uh, so this book, you know, and, and I just got my copy a couple of days ago. And as I've, I'm ripping, you know, reading through it, you know, first off, uh, for those people that are um, uh, sort of new to competitive, we're not going to talk about the incursion missions today. Those are the thousand point and smaller games. There's a separate set of nine missions in the book uh, for those. We're not going to go over those today since we're, this podcast and, and everything that we do at VT is focused on uh, competitive play, which is usually the, the 2000 point strike force missions. Or just encouraging people to get to that stage of 2000 points, because often the incursion ones are uh, slightly minimalistic versions of that 2000 points. So it's easy to have a higher, le- a high uh, level approach on this. And that's kind of why we do that. Whether you're a competitive player or not, most people I would say at local gaming stores still play 2000 points. So, in, you know, the strike force will be the more popular of those who I think that's definitely the best place to cover it um, is we want to encourage everybody to start getting to local tournaments, getting to the local gaming store and enjoying this incredible hobby. Okay. So where are we going to cover first then, mate? Where, where's your think's a good place to start? Uh, so let's start with um, the, you know, the, the change to the map layouts and the, and the mission names. The, I know one of the complaints with the, the, the first version of the GT 2021 book, when we came out just six months later, like you said, there hadn't been a lot of data, there hadn't been a lot of information. So not a lot changed from the first to second drafts of the GT book last year. But now we've got this big overhaul. Some look similar, some doesn't. There's definitely some mission name changes for, I think all but only one remained, which is the scouring, which I know a lot of people just cringed over, but even that one's changed. So, uh, Let's just talk about in general, um, do you see a lot of similarity as a whole between the these new missions and the old missions? Um, I would say there's only a few that have similarities. I would say it's a good 50-50 mix of kind of ones that feel completely different to ones that have a similar sort of feeling, whether it's the deployment map and where the objectives are placed. So um, we can definitely cover those. I think the other thing to mention as well, is it worth me going over some of the basics and then maybe some top tips for each mission? Uh, yeah, I think that's, if, you know, probably easiest, if, especially for those people that have the book and want to follow along. Uh, you know, we're starting on page 38 with recover the relics. Uh, why don't you let us know about the, the, the short, the long and the short of this mission. Yeah, no worries. So, um, now what we have done on the Academy is actually done a full debrief. Each video is about 
15, 10 to 15 minutes long about even how to deploy on these missions, how to use terrain and, and such like with a full deep dive and analysis into each of these. And that's actually on the Academy coming out next week, which is really exciting. But I'm going to give you the, so actually it's very fresh in my mind at the moment after recording all that. So I'm going to give you the highlights. Okay. So Recover the Relics is a short deployment. Okay. So what a short deployment means is that there's not a huge amount of space for going left or going right. It's very straight down the middle in terms of uh, the deployment map. So this means that for armies, it's very easy to screen out your opponent when you're on a short deployment map. It also means it's harder to get gunline angles as well. So it can sometimes favor castles and armies in which really want to have a sort of monodirectional uh, play style. Uh, but this mission in particular, it's six objectives and you only need to hold one or hold two to score the four or the additional four points. So for me, the first thing to note on this is that the objectives, there's three that are quite heavily stacked toward your deployment zone. Uh, there's one definitely inside your deployment zone and the other two, either side, you have to move on. You cannot, there's no way you can control those from your own deployment zone. That's It's very, very tight, but make sure uh, when you are playing this, it's actually physically impossible to do it. But for this one, uh, you get a kill secondary. This is a, sorry, a kill second part of the primary, should I say. This is the biggest change in the mission pack now is that each and every mission, you score four points for holding, four points for holding another objective, and then four points for holding more. So rather than before it was 5, 10, 15, now it's 4, 8, 12. Okay, so that's the biggest change. And then also we now have a second part to the primary, which means each and every mission you play is going to feel really, really different. So therefore, with this one, you score up to three points for killing a different unit. So kill three units, you get three points. Kill four units, you only get three points. Kill one unit, you get one point. So again, really important to understand how do you pick up those extra primary points to max out that 45 threshold that you're looking to score. Because remember, you get 10 points for having a battle-painted army. You can score up to 45 points on the primary mission, and then you'll score up to 45 points for picking your three individual secondaries, which are worth 15 points each still. So that the secondaries haven't changed in terms of scoring, just the primary. And then, like I said, each mission's got its own unique way of scoring some additional primary points. Which means for us, looking at this mission, you want to maybe consider being a little bit more defensive. You want to make sure that you're using units that have the potential to kill more than one unit. So therefore, if you put this unit out and you know you're going to lose it next turn, potentially, then you may you may pick up one to three units with this one unit. Therefore, you're always trading up in terms of points, if that makes sense. So consider a more defensive game plan on this mission. Things like banners from secondary objectives is a great one um, where or anything that allows you to do psychic actions in the middle of the table or stay back and still keep those psychers protected using lookout sir and then also you know secondaries like to the last again a very um you know defensive based secondary where you're trying not to die because it's in your interest to kill and not get killed uh, to make sure that you can swing the primary in your favor and also you may as well lean into that in terms of you know going for something like to the last as well if you've got a really durable army so secondaries for this one you know we're looking at things like um engage on all fronts can be an option but if you are going for engage or the new retrieve knockman data secondary or stranglehold then it might end up in you giving away lots of points on the primary so just make sure you've got a really good understanding of 
how many points you're willing to give up by feeding these units to score different secondaries for you because they need to be in certain places of the table. And obviously, you know, full well knowing your opponent's probably going to pick them up, giving them three easy kills potentially in your um, or in their next turn. So always bear that in mind. However, it's always better off scoring your secondaries and giving up full primary points or because it's only going to be capped at three versus, you know, not scoring any secondary points and, uh, you know, not giving them any primary. So it's a, certainly a less of two evils. But um, yeah, things like banners to the last, maybe even a, you know, psychic secondary in there or a kill-based secondary, like bring it down, could be a really, really good type of secondary for this mission. Any questions on that one, Dave? Uh, no, but... I do notice, and I and, and this is something I, I wanted to, to to touch on, is that a lot of the missions now have scenario specific rules that don't necessarily go to scoring, but they go to how the mission operates as a whole or how you're supposed to play the mission. Yeah. So, like this one has recover relics. Uh, what what exactly is that rule? So that basically you only receive your Battleforge bonus at the start of the command phase if you control one or more objectives in your opponent's territory, okay? So your opponent's territory is the ones that are basically in no man's land and you're, in, you're and now the territory is now basically divided up. Uh, so it's very clear on the map which is the territory. So remember, um, if at the start of your command phase a player controls an objective in their opponents, then they receive that extra CP. So if you want to play defensive, then obviously you might not get that command point. And this is what you really need to weigh up is, are the victory points worth more than the uh, command points? And that's something you really need to consider or pick and choose when you need to control the, um, you know, the objectives in your opponent's deployment zone, but constantly trying to do it may, you know, end up you running out of resources too fast and giving away too many points or spreading yourself too thin. So on this mission, I'd be a lot less reliant on your command points just because obviously it's going to be much, much harder to actually get them. And, and I noticed that there's at least three missions in the pack now that have this, some sort of restriction on whether or not you get that battle ready uh, or that uh, Battleforged um, CP at the start of the command phase. So is that something that people are going to have to consider or take into account when they're building their lists? Because, you know, last year a lot of people would come with multiple patrols or, you know, they weren't quite worried so much. I, you know, people would come in. I saw people at LVO coming into the game with they'd already spent more than half of their CPs on relics and warlord traits and this, that, and the other because they were relying on getting that one extra point every turn. Yeah. So I would look at it in when you're really deconstructing your army um, and, you know, you're deciding on the stratagems that you want to use. I would assume on this mission, you're not going to score any. So I would make sure you've got a, a stratagem plan using the command points you start with in the game and that you wouldn't get any more unless you've got other ways like psychic powers or stuff to actually net you more CPs. Just assume you're going to get your 12 and that's going to be it for this mission because it is a hard one. It's probably the hardest out of all of them to to get that uh, command point. So make sure you've got a plan. Which is why I will be carrying an ethereal in every single one of my cow lists going forward, but we can discuss that uh, in a future podcast. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, all right. So uh, I think that covers recover the relics. Let's move on to tear down their icons. I love the names of some of these missions too. Yeah, so tear down the icons. This is a really, 
uh, different mission, I would say, than what we've seen before um, in terms of the fact that we've seen this deployment map before, which is, I would say, a short edge but diagonal um, deployment map, and there's five objectives. So five objectives always leans really well into the hold more because it's really easy to hold half and hold more at the same time um, because there's one smack bang in the center of the table. So with this one, we've got some, it's again, it's a hold one, hold two. So hold one for four points, hold two for another four points. This one is all about planting explosive, and that is the mission special rule is planting explosives. Now you can do this with any unit, but you have to do this wholly in your opponent's territory. So basically in your opponent's half of the table, get your explosives down. Um, and in order to do that, basically any unit can do it. And it's then completed at the end of your next command phase. However, if you're a troop or objective secured unit, should I say, so objective secured, um, then you actually complete this at the end of your turn. So having objective secured ability is going to be really important here. So whether it's a wall or trait that gives a unit objective secured or whatever it might be, then, you know, that's going to allow you to complete this action at the end of your turn, get those bombs down uh, and explosives down in your opponent's territory, because each of these that go off at the end of the game, or which basically survive the end of the game, are going to give you four additional victory points to a maximum of 15. Okay. Now, once an explosive's been planted, you can actually defuse them as well. So there's an action your opponent can do to, you know, prevent it from going off. And what they need to do is use any unit aside from uh, aircrafts to actually, um, you know, basically, what would be the word, defuse it. They need to roll a dice on a four or more. It's diffused. If they're a troop or objective secured unit, should I say again, objective secured is the important keyword there. Um, then it, you get a plus three to that roll. So you automatically do it with an objective secured unit, providing that there's no enemy units within range of it. Now, it doesn't specify the range, so we're going to assume three inches. And I would play that three inches, basically. That was me. So I got a, I got a question here uh, that, that I was thinking about when I was reading this over last night. Um, it says that... Uh, you get uh, you, each player scores four victory points for each primed explosive objective marker that is within their opponent's territory. Yeah, there's a middle objective of the five objectives on this map. There's one that's smack in the middle of the table. Yes, you also moment players. You can it's calling for you. Uh, but is that objective that one's it's half in one territory and half in the other? So that's a viable one. No, for either so, side, right? So your uh, explosives that you plant are nothing to do with the objective markers. So what you're going to do is you're probably going to need a token or something because when you plant your explosive, you're actually going to plant that within three of your unit, anywhere on the table, inside your opponent's territory. Oh, okay. So cause, yeah, see, I was reading this over thinking that we were planting bombs on the primaries, but it's anywhere as long as you cross that middle line yes. of the table and get into your opponent's half of the table yes the only thing you can't do is plant another bomb within nine inches of your first one that you just put down so this is going to make strategic reserves a valuable option because you can bring stuff in off the sides and start planting explosives yeah because it's done at the end of the movement phase and again them being objective secured or any unit that can pre-game move infiltrating units are going to be clutch in this mission and I would always say 
You want to get your explosives down as quickly as you can and then ensure you've got plenty of units to keep feeding onto them so that it's impossible for your opponent to ever actually defuse them because they need to kill your unit off um, and then keep them basically off or keep you outside of three from it because as soon as you put another model within three of it, they can't defuse it. Got it. All right, yeah, that's that one's going to be interesting because it's it almost creates it's it that primary almost has two primaries on it because you you've got your main primaries like in most missions you're taking and holding those objectives but now you've also got this additional yeah. point that you you're creating or to defend and your opponent's creating that you need to attack and it's gonna it's gonna make the game very dynamic those those static uh, gameplay styles not gonna work on this one. The other thing as well, it means that you need an extra abundancy of units that can do actions if your units that normally do actions for you are busy doing these actions. Because if you're trying to, you know, retrieve data or do something else or raise a banner, it's going to be really hard to have enough resources to do all this with. I was going to say, this is going to, this is, seems like it's going to cause a problem for low model count armies like custodies, knights, renegade knights, things like that. Well, remember, any unit can do this. So a knight can still plant an explosive. But obviously, if it does that, then it's technically doing an action. So unless it can do an action and fire, then obviously it can't do anything else. Um, now, remember, with this, only one unit can do it. So you can't just have, you know, you can't just chuck six explosives down, turn one in your opponent's territory. It is only one unit that can do this. Okay, you happy with that mission? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry, GSE players, your guys are not bombing half of the table in one turn. No. Uh, and we will move on to Data Scry Salvage. Okay. This one, uh, it's, uh, this looks very similar to the old Vital Intelligence. It is. And also the mission-specific special rules, the same as all very familiar that you'll probably understand. But this is a long diagonal deployment. It's six objectives, and this is a hold two, hold three mission. Um, so a little bit ho- harder on trying to get those primary points. But the mission special rule here is data intercept. One of your units can attempt to do this action on your backfield or deployment zone objective. And then at the end of the turn, you'll score a number of victory points equal to the number of objectives markers you control in no man's land. So there's four objectives in no man's land. So you can score up to three points per turn. So you need to do the action, basically, you know, do the data intercept part. That's the action. And again, it's the end of your movement phase and you've got to be within um, you know, range of your objective marker in your deployment zone. And then, yeah, everyone that you control at the end of your turn, you're going to score an additional point for. Now, one thing to note as well, it's got another part to this rule, which means you've got data terminals. Data terminals are what we call sticky objectives. If you have an objective secured unit of, from your army in your command phase controlling an objective, then that remains yours until it's taken off you so you can actually leave the objective but that's only with an objective secured unit okay so before it was any unit if you held it in the command phase it would stay yours now it's objective secured so you'll see this word objective secured coming up a lot lot more in this book we're putting a real emphasis back onto the infantry the troops of the game to really make sure armies look and feel like a proper army which is awesome yeah i know and we'll we'll certainly get to that when we get uh, to the secondaries, there's been a lot of changes there with troops, the emphasis on troops and objective secured there too. It's, we really want to move away from, it seems like uh, GW really wants to get away from 
the all elite armies and the lots of specialized troops and and then you know just your token couple MSU uh, intercessor squads that people are getting to fill out their battalions or what have you. Yeah, or just like I've taken a patrol and that's it. Um, but again, some secondaries that you might want to consider on this one, things like retrieve knockman data because you can easily get into the different quarters. Same for engaging all fronts. Uh, stranglehold isn't too bad as long as you can kill off one of the units on their objectives uh, because hopefully you would think that one of those four is out in the open. So as long as you control the other two, you'll be holding three and holding more. Just leave them to holding two objectives only or a psychic based secondary near the center of the table, or maybe a mental interrogation or something. So they are the secondaries that I'll be looking for taking. Obviously, you know, if your opponent, you know, brings a million tanks and you've got bring it down as a good option, then fantastic. But I'm always looking at these missions thinking, okay, which secondaries work really, really well with this one? For example, banners does not work so well because it's really difficult to get more than one banner up. Um, unless you can really push hard into that objective, which is furthest away from your opponent's deployment zone and closest to yours, um, which is normally, if you're looking at the map, the top right-hand corner, maybe you've got a pre-game move or an infiltrating unit there, could easily raise a banner there, but then you're going to need two units in your backfield, one to do the data intercept action and then one to raise a banner on it as well. So just make sure you've got enough units to do all these actions for you. So that's it. All right. So, uh, and is, is, am I remembering correctly? Is this the only mission now that has the hold two, hold three requirement or was there another one? There's one other. There's one other. Okay. All right. But we'll get there in the meantime, abandoned sanctuaries. Okay. Abandoned sanctuaries. This is a long deployment edge. Okay. So this is, this mission's completely new, really. There's nothing really like this from before. Um, you've also, this is a hold one hold two objective mission. There's five objectives, one being right smack bang in the middle of the table again. Um, now this one has got a really interesting special rule in which means you cannot use any unit that can deploy in no man's land in no man's land. So for example, infiltrators have to deploy in your deployment zone. Any unit that pregame move cannot pregame move. They have to pre-game move either left or right but remaining in your deployment zone okay gonna be huge and that seems like it's that seems like it's gonna really uh i don't know if it's gonna hamper but it is certainly going to slow things down just a little bit for some of those lists and those armies that like to just go right off the starting line jump to and, and get right in your face it's going to slow down doing actions um you know in different quarters or whatever Unfortunately, it does mean that you're going to be a little bit more susceptible to an alpha strike, you know, things like drop pods or units that can redeploy turn one um, into, you know, actually this is in their movement phase. So when the game's begun, um, then they can, let's say, pick a unit up and drop it down nine inches away in turn one. That, that's where we're going to be open. So we need to make sure we're using plenty of terrain on this map to make sure you don't get alpha striked off the table. But that being said... Yes, you're a bit, little bit more susceptible to an alpha strike, but there's a huge benefit to going second in this mission. And let me go over why. So the way you score extra primary points on this mission is by doing one of the following things. Okay, you can score two extra victory points if you satisfy at least one of the following conditions, okay? You either control the objective in the center of the battlefield or you destroy at least one enemy unit that was in six of the center at the start of their turn. Here's the thing. Make sure at the start of your turn, 
you check which units are within, not wholly within, six inches of the center. So for example, if a combat happens and a piling, you know, brings a unit that was outside of six now into six, because it wasn't there at the start, it will not count for killing. Okay, so make sure you clarify that with your opponent at the start of each of your turns, which units are within six of the center and which are not. Okay. Um, then at the end of the battle, the player who controls, and this is why it's big to go second. So if you control the middle objective at the end of the game, you're going to score five victory points. So yes, you might get alphaed, but the player going first, if they try to alpha strike you and commit too much, they won't have enough resources to hold the middle of the table at the end of the game. So again, it's a sort of pros. You've really got to weigh up the benefits versus the alpha versus, you know, slowing down a slowing down the tempo, keeping lots of resources alive until your turn five, where you can just push and just swamp that middle of objective and make sure your opponent can't take it off you. And, and so this, this is a, and as far as that, uh, that additional secondary, we're going to come up with some term for that. Cause it's not a secondary, it's a supplemental primary almost. It's the supplemental uh, primary. Yeah. There we go. Uh, the, so this, it's called secure the sanctuaries. It's two points. If or it's not an if it's not an and or so you're only going to get two if you hold the objective in the middle or if you kill one enemy unit you're not going to stack it up and get four in one turn no. correct so is anybody who wants to try to rack up those those points is probably not going to want to unless they're talking about a big brick of dark angel terminators with all the fixins they yeah. are probably not going to want to try to just camp on that thing and hold it all game no you have to all pace right. yourself yeah uh, so again, a couple of secondaries that might work really well. Anything that requires doing actions in the middle of the table, things like stranglehold, again, holding half and more, um, and any kill or psychic-based secondaries would also work quite well with this mission. So keep those in mind. And and, and my, you know, just coming off a year of playing Space Marines, you know, everybody defaults to Oaths of Moment. My thinking was, oh, I can get Oaths points. But if I'm trying, or, or so a Space Marines player, trying to camp on that middle objective to to get those also moment points, they're also presenting themselves to get shot off the table and hand those two points to your opponents. You may not want to have that automatic reflex of, oh, it's a center objective. I'll take oaths. Yeah, exactly. Because you might be giving up. But that being said, if you're not there, your opponent's probably going to hold it anyway. So they'll still satisfy the other, which is they're going to get two points regardless because they're going to be there instead of you. So if they're not killing you there, they're probably going to be stood there. So it's because it's an either or, not an and, therefore I'd probably still go for it anyway. But obviously over moment really relies on you going second. And therefore you already know that your opponent's going to get the upper hand if they go second. Do you really want to double down on something or you're better off going for a secondary that might work better if you go first, just to balance out the game a little bit more. All right. This is the advanced level of thinking and contemplation that we that I have gotten out of VT, and I know a lot of other uh, friends that I've made in the academy have all developed thinking that we didn't even consider before we joined. It's and, and that's exactly it. It's just understanding that um, kind of the evaluation of in the pros and cons to every single aspect, right? Um, and that's kind of what we want to make people is just better critical thinkers. Um, and also to put the game in your hands so you can have a game plan, make sure you score the points you want to score. And rather than being really reactive to what your opponent does, you can actually, you know, execute the game plan you want to do, which is the most important thing. So what's next, mate? Awesome. All right. So next, uh, on to mission 22, 
conversion. Okay, nice. So this is very similar to sweeping clear that we've seen before um, in terms of the um, quartered-based deployment. Now, remember, this is going to be the map where you're closest to your opponent. There's only 18 inches between you. And uh, again, with quarter deployment, there's five objectives. There's one straight in the middle once more. And with quarter deployment, again, it's very easy to reach those other quarters. So when you're considering your secondaries, you know, do bear that in mind. But with conversion, we're looking at uh, holding one and holding two again. Um, you also now get two points for holding a no man's land objective. And there are three in no man's land. So that is the um, special rule or special um, primary supplement, as we, as we mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, you score basically two victory points if you control one or more objectives in no man's land. You lose a point if you don't control your own in your deployment zone, which I mean, you should be holding anyway, but there's a potential to lose points here. But there's also a potential to gain four points if you nick the uh, the objective market in your opponent's deployment zone at the end of the player turn. But that's going to be super hard to do because if your opponent's good, like you should be doing, is screening out your backfield really, really well, making sure you've got some objective secured units on there. And again, on the Academy, we show you lots of different ways to really hunker down and fortify an objective. And that's exactly what you need to be doing on this mission. You really need to be, you know, leaving a little bit more behind on your backfield objective rather than just, I've got a Thunderfire cannon or I've just put a whirlwind there or I've got this one unit of five Cabalite warriors. We need a bit more than that because if it gets stolen, that's a four big swing points you've just given to your opponent. Now there's a mission rule on this one. Okay, a very specific mission rule, which we call a, on the Academy, we're calling Mission Quirks. So this is what we mentioned earlier. You're only going to get your CP if your Warlord's on the battlefield. Now, he is allowed to be in a transport, but if, you, if you're if you one that person that loves to send off your Warlord into combat, turn one or turn two, as soon as they're dead, no more Battleforge CPs for you. And that also is going to count if you start him off in Deep Strike. Correct, so he's not on the battlefield. So that's going to definitely affect some some deployment life choices there. One of the big differences between this and, like you said, it's it's very similar to the sweep and clear map before, which obviously it was popular for things like engage in all fronts. But before it was a lot of a lot of the way I saw people playing it was everybody would flood the middle, especially because it was but the deployment zones were so close together. It was a night you only had a nine inch dash to get to that middle objective. But now you're going to get those those two supplemental primary points by taking. The, the no man's land objectives that are to your left and to your right. Yeah. So you, it may be to your advantage to forego the middle and focus on going to the sides and spreading out. Yeah. So the great thing about this is this, this mission in particular opens up armies that have better mobility. Okay. So before, when I looked at this mission, um, you know, typically an army would spearhead down the middle and they would just hunker there and score their points. And actually, if you didn't have a bully based army like that, then you were kind of at disadvantage. So uh, what we wanted to do with this mission is just make sure that every army can play it. And I think this is one of those key nuances that you've mentioned there is having no mobility um, to really better reach either side. You can still take stranglehold and maybe just leave the one in the middle. You go for the two, uh, one, you know, forward and one to the right hand side of where we're looking. So I think that's a really important distinction to make is that we want each of these missions to be really playable by every army rather than one type of archetype that we've seen in the past. Which is which I think also goes to the idea of people are going to really have to start making sure that they have balanced lists coming into 
tournaments or even just going to the casual games at your at your local game store or in your friend's garage, you got to have these balanced lists because you don't know what mission you're going to roll for or you're going to get assigned. Yeah. And if you're if you're playing all of one style and you don't have the mobility and you land on this conversion, you are up a creek. You are. And um, we, I've got some list considerations at the end of this that we can go over. So some top tips. And again, this will also be on the blog page for you to check out so you can read that in your own time. Awesome. All right. So uh, without further ado, the mission that gives 2021 competitive players nightmares, the scouring, except it's not the old version. This is, this is not your dad's scouring mission. It's the all new version. Steve, let's, what's different? Okay, so the scouring, still five objectives, but there's some significant changes here. You're only 12 inches from the center, not 14. You're also, you don't have the weird cutoff bit at the edges. So it's not, it's just a short deployment, not a super short deployment, which it was before. So it gives you a little bit more width to spread out. Also, the next change is that is hold one, hold two, not hold two, hold three. Again, another really important consideration there. Um, so... With this one, the mission quirk, as we call it, the the, the little mission specific rule, um, is that you can basically do an OSPEC scan on an objective, okay? Now, you are going to score up to three points, and there's five on there, so there's 15 points total you could score for this part of the primary. Um, score three points for each one that you successfully OSPEC scan. Now, when you do this, you do an action at the end of your turn, like usual, but... You cannot do this if there's any enemy units within three of that objective. You can only do it once on that objective. You can't keep doing the same one over and over again. Um, and only one unit can actually attempt to do this per turn um, or b- battle round. And it's completed at the start of your next command phase or the end of your next command phase. But basically, you got to survive an entire turn. Now, any unit can do this. So again, we've got some top tips for you on the Academy actually as to what units you should be really doing this with and why. And if you're ever doing things like player place terrain, really incorporating that into your battle plan, because otherwise you're going to find yourselves, you know, trying to do the action and getting shot. So, you know, some durable units would be great to do this with. And you're, and you're going to have the challenge too of obsec. It doesn't say who controls the objective. It just says within range. So if you're a, if your opponent very quickly moves a unit, even just to toe in on that objective, you've lost those points. So you're going to have to kind of clear an area around the objective even to hope to to pull this off. Yeah. So you should early game be able to do the ones quite close to you. But again, those infiltrating pregame moving units, those fast units that can just get within three are going to stop doing those actions. You know, and again, um, you know, we need to consider the rules around doing actions. Typically, you can't advance and do actions and typically you can't fall back and do actions. So therefore, what we want to be doing is making people advance and making people fall back because as soon as you do that, they can't do actions. So if using your techniques on the table and your strategies of your units to even just tag a unit can be really, really powerful to stop them doing a really important secondary, a, a really important action like this to get those supplementary primary points. Awesome. I, I think everybody will stop fearing the scouring now. Uh, and uh, now we're going to go on to, I think, what is probably the most unique map. And it's, it's certainly... Uh, unlike anything we had uh, in the last year's GT book, and that's Tide of Conviction. Tide of Conviction, yeah. So this is a long deployment edge. It's six objectives, and this is the other one where you've got to hold two or hold three objectives to score those points. Um, So when you look at the objective placement, 
you can actually see you've got the center of the table and then there's two objectives very close to this. Okay. And, um, this, this one in particular is again, one that you're only going to get your CP at the start of your turn. If you control the objective in your deployment zone. So again, really make sure that's fortified and uh, make sure you've got durable units that can't just be shot off quite easily. Um, and make sure you're considering terrain to make sure you're keeping your units alive there. So that's really important is getting that CP, hold your own objective. Now, this mission, uh, the, the supplementary part of this, it's called Overrun. And basically what you need to do here is at the end of your first, second, third and fourth turn, um, you score two points, okay, if you control at least one objective market in your opponent's territory. Okay, so just two points. Um, if you hold two of them, you don't score four, it's only two. It's basically one or more. And then at the end of the battle, so basically the end of turn five, each player scores four victory points if they control the objective of Arca in their opponent's zone and two for each of the, that's each objective market in their opponent's territory for a maximum of eight points uh, per player. Okay, so it's two points for turns one, two, three, four, and then it's for whichever one you hold and then it goes to four points for your opponent's deployment zone one, and then two points each for the ones in the in their territory. Okay, is that clear? Yeah, absolutely. And this is this seems like it's a mission uh, that's going to really require some resource management. Would you agree? Yeah. To make sure you've got those units by the end of the game to get those those additional points. Yeah. So again, you know, end game scoring huge. Um, this sort of part of this. So making sure you've got plenty of resources back left to do that. Some fast combat units, hopefully of objective secured to just go in there and get that objective off your opponent in their deployment zone is going to be massive as well. Um, and again, um, you know, going second, big advantage here, really big advantage. So if you're going first, you're going to have to be aggressive. You can't just let your opponent, um, you know, sit back and then go cool. Then they just swamp all the objectives and score eight points at the end. That'd be, and then they'll probably score the hold more as well. That's a huge swing. Um, so again, you know, making sure with this one, um, you know, you're really hunkering down and holding your objectives, denying your opponent from actually holding them. Uh, and and given the 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 odd shape of of how the the objective primaries are spread out, uh, what do you uh, think are some good secondaries that that will be reliable for people on this one? So again, I think you want to be somewhere near the center of the table. Uh, it's not a bad option. So any actions in the middle, stranglehold, um, you know, some psychic actions in the middle of the table, mental interrogation, they're all going to work really, really well here. Engage is quite hard because of the new changes to engage in all fronts. Banners is going to be okay. Um, it's not too far to move out uh, in order to get those first two that are quite close to you. Um, I believe you know, you've got to literally walk about two or three inches to get those first two banners up. But remember, your opponent's going to be pushing on them. So you make sure you're backing it up with some characters, some heroic interventions, some blocking, some obsec, if you do go banners, because it's going to be tough. Your opponent's going to be going for them. Got it. All right. So uh, we've only got a couple left. Uh, next one is called Death and Zeal. Okay, so Death and Zeal. This is my favorite one. And the reason for that is because myself and Lawrence Baker from Tabletop Tactics did this mission for White Dwarf and it's out this month. Oh, awesome. If you want to read me versus Lawrence in a battle report, an old school nostalgia White Dwarf battle report, pick up uh, this month's uh, edition of White Dwarf and you can read how myself and Lawrence got on with this mission, Death and Zeal. 
Uh, we were asked to go up as uh, playtesters to, you know, show off what this uh, what this mission was all about. And we had a great time. He used his Dracari. I used my Adeptosaurus at the time. Um, and yeah, we had an awesome game. So uh, fantastic read as well. All right. So uh, grab grab this month's White Dwarf, throw on some uh, flannel and turn up the Nirvana. And it's an old school uh, 90s battle report from, from White Dwarf back in the day. Absolutely. Um, so Death and Zeal, five objectives. Same map as that sweeping clear, that uh, quartered base deployment. So it's really close again. It's that 18 inches away. Um, so five objectives. It's hold one, hold two. Uh, the mission rules. Okay. So again, this is one in which is what we call sticky objectives. If you hold the objective with an objective secured unit at the start of your command phase, it remains under your control. Okay. Um, then the supplementary part of the primary is called direct assault. At the end of each player's turn, the player who scores it scores two if they satisfy one of the conditions, okay? Or three victory points if you satisfy both. So the first bullet point that you could satisfy is basically control every objective marker on the table. Now, it sounds really difficult, but there's a reason why that was put in. Because the second part of that, and this is the one that you're most likely going to be looking for, is or you control at least one objective you did not at the start of your turn. Okay, so basically grab an objective you didn't hold at the start of your turn, you get two points. The reason why the first part was put in about holding every single objective, which sounds on the preface really difficult to do, is because if you've done really, really well and you've let's say got every single objective and your opponent hasn't taken you off any, you shouldn't have been punished because then you can't score those points again. So that that's why it's uh, one or or of those. And then the second bullet point, is so you get two points for doing one of the top ones I've just read, and then you get another potential option to score two points with this bullet point. Basically, destroy an enemy unit that was within range of an objective at the start of their turn. So again, clarify, hey, you got this unit and that unit. They're currently within range of that objective. If I kill it, I get the two points correct. Cool. But we've agreed. We know which units I've got to kill. If you do both of those, so basically if you control an objective that you didn't at the start of your turn, and then also you kill a unit, you're going to get three points instead of two. Have I made that clear? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, uh, you know, setting aside the hold every objective in the on the battlefield, which, yeah, to me just sounds like you're, you're about, you've already gotten tabled anyway, so. <laughs> uh, but you you hold one objective that you didn't hold at the, at the end of your turn, you hold an objective that you didn't hold at the start of your turn. That's two points. Uh, you destroy one enemy unit that was in that was in range of not necessarily holding, but in range of an objective marker at the start yeah. of your turn, or you do both and you get three. Yeah, there we go. All right. So again, with quarters, things like uh, retrieve knockman data, engage in all fronts, doing an action in the center of the table because there's an objective there anyway, um, and stranglehold. You know, holding more. You know, psychic interrogation or warp ritual can all be good secondaries on this one. Okay. Um, the other thing you might want to consider is a pierce the veil, because if you look at the battlefield edge, it's all the way along. It's actually quite easy to do pierce the veil on this map. So do consider it. Don't write it off. Okay. I actually have a, a funny story about pierce the veil. I, uh, I've only ever taken it in one game and I actually was able to use it to max out 15 points. Uh, and I ended up scoring, uh, 95 points total in that, uh, in that tournament game. Uh, yeah. unfortunately I was, I was playing against my wife and, uh, that, Dinner, dinner was rough that night. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. But you in the doghouse? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and you've met my wife. She she loves her sisters and uh, she likes winning. Yeah, she's mean. D- she can be. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, she's she's a fierce competitor. So sure. All right. Love, so we love you, really. Yeah. Oh, we love Shauna. Uh, all right. So moving on uh, to the last of the uh, of the Strike Force missions: secure missing artifacts. Okay. So this is the last one. This is very much like priority target. Okay, uh, that we've seen in the previous pack is a short diagonal deployment. The objectives do move on this one as well. So there is a really cool interplay here where the objectives can move six inches. I'm not going to go over that specifically today, but here's five objectives, one straight in the middle again, and then the others in a sort of square based shape. It's a hold one, hold two mission. Um, and yeah, you reposition some of the objectives on the table, basically not the middle one. Uh, you take it in turns to reposition them six inches. Um, and then the supplementary part of the primary here is at the end of your player's turn, if you control the priority objective in their own territory. Now, remember, there's basically two objectives in each territory, not deployment zone, territory. Um, if you hold it, then you are going to score three points. Now, this is the interesting thing. It's the opponent that therefore picks the priority target, okay, for you. Because it says, after all objective markers have been repositioned, each player secretly notes down one objective marker that is within their opponent's territory to be the priority objective marker, okay? So you're doing it for your opponent. Before, you did it for yourself, so it's a little bit harder. Yeah, I remember in, at the, with priority targets uh, in, in the uh, 2021 book, uh, that was a... There, there in that one, the priority targets was the mission specific secondary, and everybody looked at that as an easy free fifteen points you were going to rack up right there because yep. you were choosing that objective, you were putting it someplace behind terrain or someplace relatively secure for yourself, and you were just going to camp your units on it and rack up your fifteen and call it a day. Now your opponent's going to have a little say in that, and now you're and, and also you're not going to be getting necessarily. I mean, it is worth fifteen points if you do it five turns in a row. But uh, it's it's just to supplement your primaries. It's uh, you, mm. you're still going to have the other considerations of your other secondaries you got to worry about too. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I like it. I, uh, I I I think it it takes one of the missions that everybody sort of considered as a uh, too easy, and they it adds some some complexity to it and a little bit of challenge without making it obnoxious. It really yeah. makes this more of a competitive mission where uh, you know you're going to have to be fighting for those extra points and you may pull that objective marker for your, your opponent's priority marker out and stick it out in no man's land or away from territory where you can just line up your guns on it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the, this is before deployment, which is interesting. So it does give you a little bit of a wriggle room there. So is it worth covering the most significant changes of the secondaries? And then we'll go over some list considerations that you need to be thinking of now to make sure you've got well-round balanced lists. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I definitely want to get to those list considerations, but obviously if we're going to do that, we got to talk about the new secondary changes first, because that's going to have a lot of effect on people's list design. So, uh, yeah. obviously I don't, it doesn't look like there is a, there was a lot of change to the, what I guess we'll call the all access secondaries. Uh, those, the, the names have all remained the same. There are some, some subtle changes, but we've also got some extra secondaries in here but not everybody gets them. Well, let, let's talk about what that is. Okay, so you'll see that now in this pack, there are faction-specific secondaries. Now, uh, we felt like there was uh, some secondary or some armies that really needed them because, you know, their codex hadn't dropped. 
Um, and we just need, because obviously the way that the primary objectives are now changed to incorporate what was the old secondaries, there were some factions that needed a little bit of extra help. And again, this is a great way for GW to sort of help balance the game to make sure each you know army has options at this stage. Um, so obviously when this came out, it came out at the same time as uh, pretty much what you're looking at. Custodes were very close, GSC, um, you know, Tau. Um, obviously they've already announced Eldar are on the horizon at some point. So, you know, they didn't need secondaries in this book because obviously, you know, Games Workshop are pretty clued up with their release schedule. So they knew exactly what was going on when so you can see here. Uh, that actually they're going to get. So if you're an Eldar player, don't panic just yet. You'll probably get some, uh, you know, secondaries in your book, like we've seen in every other codex, I can only assume anyway. Okay, so when we're looking at these secondaries, we'll look over the most significant changes that we've had. Uh, like we said, some seem some subtle name changes, but typically we've still got the same Purge the, en uh, purge the Enemy category. All the categories have re remained the same. So there's Purge the Enemy, No Mercy, No Respite. You've got Warcraft, Shadow Operations, and then Battlefield Supremacy. So the order's changed a little bit, but they're all there. Okay. Now, all right. um, one other massive thing that I should know at this point is that the way an army is called Battle Forged is now changed as well. So that's one thing we probably should mention about this book. And this is probably my favorite change of the book is now if you want to take an army with sub-factions in order to be a fully Battle Forged army and to get your Battle Forged bonuses, each detachment has to be the same if it's running from the same faction. So if you're going to take Sisters, you have to take all Bloody Rose detachments. You can't take an Ebon Chalice and a bloody rose, you'd lose your battleforged abilities. Okay, so it, it really helps make armies look and feel like a proper army. And and, and just to, to to build on that a little further, is that going to affect uh, Drakari lists? Because I know a lot of Drakari players like those triple patrol lists. You think that's going to force everybody towards that real space raid detachment? Well, hopefully, yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it? It, it would. I, I'm really tired of the triple patrol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, they're obviously in an interesting spot, but um, on the whole, yeah, fantastic. And I think that it should be the way it should be played, right? If you want a mix of everything, you go a real space raid. That's why you've got the real space raid. Yeah, right. Uh, and and for everybody else, this is it. It does seem like it's gonna. I mean, people who are souping knights and sisters, or uh, throw in a, a knight Castellan with their admech, those lists. It's not gonna. They weren't getting their faction-specific bonuses anyway. But now, like you said, mixing multiple chapters or multiple sister orders or multiple sets is not going to. Yeah. It's going to cost you. Now, one thing with Drakari, I'm not. I think this is how this went up working, just off the top of my head. Basically, providing that the racks and the uh, the um, covens are all the same, then that's fine. You just can't mix covens in the list i think you can still have a coven a witch cult and a cabalite in the army and still remain battleforged because actually they are different um i suppose like legions or whatever right that i think that right. still works you just can't take a prophets of flesh and then another coven that would break it but i think you can take a mix so i think the free patrol still works off okay. the top of my head. yeah but you're not going to see the the artists of flesh and the the other flesh. coven yeah. and, and stacking things up because then no. your power from pain will go bye-bye. Exactly. It's one or the other, basically. You've got to stick with got a it. coven, stick with a witch cult, stick with a, um, you know, 
whatever it is. So I think that's how it works anyway. All right. Uh, so the first category, Purge the Enemy, we got the same three missions. There's, there's the Astra Militara mission, which we won't go into. But the others, Assassination, Bring It Down, Titan Hunter, they don't look like they've changed to me. Am I missing anything? You are missing one subtle change. What did I miss? So Assassinate's the same. Titan Hunters are the same. It's Bring It Down is now changed. Bring It Down used to be units under 10 or less used to give up one point. Now, this is the problem with the Raider, is that the Raider would, would only ever give up one point. So you could face off against six Raiders and or maybe six Venoms so you've got 12 vehicles to kill and it'd only give up 12 points, which is ridiculous because that's pretty much the entire army. So it's now changed to 10 to 14, give up two victory points, which now includes raiders and rhinos. Yeah, it's a, it's a small change, but it's, it's by, by shifting things one point, they're going to make the, 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 uh, the, the transport spam Rhino, rhino rushes, the fish of fury that people are talking about coming back. Certainly the, the Raider venom lists, those are all going to be giving up a bit more points. Now bring it down. It's going to be a lot more viable against those lists. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly for it. Right. So, uh, same, same like trucks or whatever, uh, for orcs. So yeah, lot slight subtle change of that one, but the rest have remained the same. All right. Uh, so moving on to the next category, no mercy, no respite. This is the category that has no prisoners, grind them down to the last. Uh, and then obviously in this book, we won't go into them, but there's additional missions for those interested. Uh, there's a mission here for chaos knights, one for Tyranids, one for chaos demons, and one for chaos space Marines. Uh, yep. and then, uh, sorry, chaos space Marine players. This secondary does not give you two wounds yet. But your codex is coming, I'm sure. Who knows? Maybe it never will. <laughs> Don't break hearts like that. We like half of our half our listenership just fell over and had a stroke. Don't do that. Won't be that the most ultimate troll ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, okay, so no mercy, no respite, respite. We're uh, gonna have this whole like English American kind of thing going on, aren't we? Oh yeah, yeah. Because I'm going to be pronouncing things completely differently than you are, and a couple yeah. of ground walls, right? Yeah, it's not. I, I can't even think of how you guys pronounce it. It's not the semi-final; it's the semi-final. Okay. For us, that's regional. That's a that's a regional thing. Some people will say semi. Some people will say semi. Depends on what part of the the, the U.S. you're from. But that one's yeah. You and I had a conversation at LVO when we were having dinner about uh, valet and valet. Yes. Yeah, so they're two separate things in the UK. Anyway, yeah, well, and then, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast we could have. Uh, yeah. Though, I if we're going to talk about pronunciation, you got to say the word for me, Steve. Say Zephyrim. Oh my god, I can't even pronounce this one, regardless of the uh, the accent. Zephyrim. There, there you go. Yeah, Ze- do we did that? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, Ze- Zephyrim. There's an M on the end. It's Zephyrim. Zephyrim. Okay, cool. Yeah, there you go. Cool. <laughs> All right. But that's not people are not here to listen to us uh, debate about linguistic regional differences. We are here to talk about no prisoners, which does have a significant change to it now. Yes. Yeah, so slight amendment here. Uh, basically, uh, again, this is quite a hard one to score. So just added in a sneaky little bit of an extra one, which basically allows you to get some additional points if you fall between some certain brackets. 
So if you're score now, uh, basically you, you you kill some stuff, you kill models with wounds, and you add all them up, and then you divide it by ten, um, and that's how many points you score. So if you kill a hundred models with a hundred wounds, or, uh, sorry, if you kill a hundred models with one wound each, uh, you divide that by ten, you'll basically get. 10 points um, and then you'll also then fall within this extra category so if you if your score is between 950 and 99 you score additional point and if your score is 100 or more you score two additional points so if you've killed roughly 50 wounds worth of your opponent's models that's worth a, a little bonus extra point there yeah you get six rather than five uh all right uh grind them down no changes there to the last it seems like they clarified a few things with regarding drone units. I don't remember that rule being there in there the last time, but I don't, as far as scoring, it doesn't seem like there's much change to that one either. Correct. All right. So, uh, moving on, uh, the psychic secondaries, uh, which is a top yeah. player I don't care about except for the witch. Uh, but what are the changes? What are the significant changes in Warcraft? So no change on a ball, the witch, no change on pierce the veil. Um, Warp Ritual is also the same as well. The biggest change is with Psychic Interrogation, and you read it and you think, ah, oh, it's the same. But no. Now, you do not need visibility to the character you want to psychically interrogate, which means you can interrogate people through walls. Big, big change. Makes this a whole different, easier secondary to score now, just because the word visible is no longer there. Yeah, that's going to make things uh, very interesting for for psycho heavy armies, gray knights and thousand cents. Like they can set aside and go, hey, I I don't want to clog the middle on some of these new primaries, but yeah. I, I'm going to certainly sneak around and get in range and and start interrogating people and be behind obscuring terrain. And there's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely, you got you got either deny the witch or you get interrogated. So uh, again, um, nice way of scoring some decent points there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it gives another nice option, which I feel like psychic interrogation was the one that was taken the least of these yeah. four in the in the last book, and we'll probably see it's one of the most popular now. Yeah, yeah, that that change is going to certainly make it much more viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, and then shadow operations. Uh, so there was no uh, faction specific ones in Warcraft. There's no faction specific secondaries uh, in shadow operations. Uh, where, so now we've got raised banners high. Seems like it's pretty much the same, but investigate signal seems to have changed a little bit. Yes, this one before was really, really hard to score because basically as soon as your opponent was in the middle, you couldn't do this action. So it needed a change, and I think this change is fantastic. Basically, you now have an opportunity. You can still do the action at the end of your movement phase, but you've got to clear out any enemy units in the center. So it's just really, really nice here where Again, one infantry unit can start to do this action if it contains three or more models at the end of your movement phase and within wholly within uh, six of the center. Uh, and then it's completed at the end of your turn if the unit attempting, obviously, is still wholly within six and there's no enemy units that are wholly within six as well. So again, clear out the middle and you've got your points. Nice. Uh, and then uh, the one I think a lot of people have already heard, at least heard rumor of, Rod is gone. Pour one out, ladies and gentlemen, for Retrieve Octarius data. Long live Retrieve Nachman data. Yeah, R&D. R is, yeah, we won't call it Rod. We're just going to call it R&D. What's the, what's the shakeup here, Steve? Okay, so it's infantry or biker unit can do this, but 
basically. Everything else is the same. You've got to do this action in a quarter of the table, more than six inches away from any other quarter. Uh, but you need to roll a dice. And you're going to roll a dice, and you need to roll equal to or less than the number of models performing the action. Now, I always roll ones, so I'm still good on this one. No matter what I take, I'm solid, right? Uh, there's no chance I'm rolling a six. But basically, that means if you've got, you know, that two lady death cult assassin unit you got to roll a one or two if you want it to be successful okay no no more camping that one cyber wolf on that objective in the in the back corner there no it needs to be again an infantry or biker um but yeah it's going to be a those two um crypto frows or whatever they ain't doing them are they that one ergo from dracari can't do this anymore uh so again you know, if you've got a six model unit, you're going to do it automatically. And if you're in a troop unit, so not objective secured, it, it just says troop unit here, um, then you get a minus one to the dice result. So with a five man or lady unit, you can automatically do this because the worst you're going to roll is a six minus one is five. That's the same number of models you've got in your unit. You've done it. Simples. You just got to make sure you don't take any casualties on that unit before they start uh, retrieving their data. Yes, yeah, so, so obviously, if, if you come down and get OSPEC scanned and lose a couple of models, now you're in trouble. Yep. All right. Uh, and then uh, is the it's different too now because before it was just infantry. Adding the biker unit makes is a, is a change too, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. All right. All right. Uh, but the scoring is still the same. Do it in two quarters, you get four points. Do it in three, you get eight. Do it in all four, you get 12. So that the scoring is the same, but how you're going to get there is uh, significantly different. And this is... This is kind of one of those things we were talking about earlier about the the emphasis on troops units and uh, objective secured really kind of having a bearing on yeah. um, how the game flows now. And this one is troops, not objective secured. So, for example, objective secured because of a warlord trait isn't going to help here. They have to be the troop battlefield role. Yep. All right. Uh, deploy teleport homers. Uh, you're going to have to let me know if there's anything different or not. I never took this. Uh, it didn't, it doesn't suit my play style. So, uh, I never took it in the last books. I won't likely take it in this book, but what's, what's the difference? Big significant change on this one. Um, you might actually start taking it now. So deployed element homers means that you only need to be within 12 inches of your opponent's deployment zone. Oh, because before you had to be within, in, the in their zone. deployment zone. Yes. And now you don't need to be 12 inches in the other side of it. You need to be tw within 12 inches it you know, as you move across the table into no man's land, so you'll be in no man's land within 12, right? Of your yeah. opponents. If you're wholly within there, um, you can do this action. And um, if you've got the troop battlefield role, um, then it's complete the end of your turn. Okay. Um, and again, it's infantry or biker. And again, it's that troop can do it at the end of your turn. Otherwise, it's your next command phase. All right. Um, and you get two points. If, however... If, however, you're completely in your deployment opponent's deployment, it's only going to score four points. Ah, there it is. So there, you you can you can reasonably with a troops unit, you can reasonably get expect to get ten out of this. But if you want to push this to fifteen, you're going to have to try to get into your opponent's deployment zone and um, yeah, get in their face. And different to all the others, there's no like how many models you need on this. It's just one single guy could or girl could do it. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, and that takes us to the last category, which is Battlefield Supremacy. Here we do have an, uh, another faction-specific secondary called Yield No Ground. That's for Imperial Knights players. 
you guys will have to pick up the book if you want to know what that does. Uh, but we will look at this, the uh, generalized ones behind enemy lines, engage in all fronts and stranglehold. Stranglehold looks like it didn't change at all. Engage in all fronts changed though, didn't it? It has changed. So again, this was a really common one. Like I would say, if you look at all the ones that are most commonly picked, they've been tweaked slightly to bring them into balance because we don't want any secondary that's too easy. We don't want any secondary that's too hard either. Uh, so engage in all fronts now, you need to be more than six away from the center, but also six away from any other table quarter as well. So again, it has that same clarification of R&D. You need to be six inches over that line uh, from the from another quarter, basically. Um, and you now need to do it with a vehicle or monster unit or one unit that contains three or more models. All right. So you can't, this can't just be achieved by an Urgle or two Death Cult assassins. They will not clarify. Also, a character, unless it's a vehicle or monster, won't help you get engaged in all fronts anymore. That's, um, you know, still viable play with like a Venom, uh, you know, or transport units as a vehicle, but not um, some of those other things, which means that you don't necessarily, let's say you've, you know, dwindled down a unit to two models remaining you don't have to just keep putting more firepower in to kill it because before you were like, oh, killing these remaining two just to ensure they can't, um, you know, get an engaged in all fronts or they can't do a rod. You don't have to worry about it. It also means morale is going to be a bit more different or a bit of a change on morale because obviously with that, you could before really never came into effect because you never left any units alive. You just overkilled a unit. Now you might leave units alive thinking okay cool as long as i've got them down below three if they fail morale cool then they might end up losing the unit so morale will become a little bit more of an impact here just because more people will leave them alone until they naturally run away and 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 i like the change that it's uh that just having that that one cold star commander or that one uh cartwheeling uh uh succubus is not going to just dash from from one side of the line to the other and pick you up another couple of points there's yeah. these additional qualifications make it not challenging, but less easy. It's it's not going to be as easy to just sort of sneak those points out uh, with half a thought. Yeah. And I think a lot of these games now don't, you know, don't expect a hundred points. I think you want to be aiming for 80. 80 is always my goal. I try to score in a game. Uh, I want to be scoring 10 to painted. I want to be scoring uh, 30 points on the secondaries, you know, 10 for each. And I want to be scoring 40 points on the primary. And if I can achieve that, then hopefully there's some wiggle room up or down to make sure I can seal the victory. But again, it's always scoring that 80 points is my magic number that I'm working towards. And that's an ex- a realistic expectation for me in a game. And that that seems like a lot of the, uh, in, in going through all of this today, it really seems like GW's intent was to, not make the game more difficult or, or less playable. Cause certainly that's, that hasn't happened. The game looks more playable than ever, but those hundred point, those 95 point games are not going to be nearly as common as they were last year. Absolutely. Yeah. We want people to have, you know, closer games that go to turn five, that go to the end of the game where things, the game still hangs in the balance. That's what we want. It's nice, close games. Yeah. Yeah. Even some of the, the, one of the games, most one of the most memorable games I had at LVO, I lost it, but it was a I lost by I think uh, six or eight points. It was a very close game that came down to the wire. That was much more enjoyable than winning a game ninety to fifteen. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, all right, and then behind enemy lines, last one, 
Uh, I don't think there's a change here. Let me know. Am I missing something? No, I think it's the same. Okay. And that covers all the secondaries. So now, Steve, I'm going to turn it over to you. And what are some of the, you know, with all this information that we've talked about today, it's been a big information dump. Certainly, guys, save this uh, podcast and listen to it a couple times over to help you prep for your next tournament. But uh, now, Steve, what are the list considerations that, you know, we should, that, you know, most players, especially newer players, should take out of all this? Okay, so I've got five for you. All right, five top tips uh, with a sort of a bonus one as well. So the first one is more objective secured units. Okay, and ideally with the troop battlefield role primarily. Okay, so that's kind of really what we're looking for is troops and units that can gain the objective secured ability for whatever reason. So then you want to start looking at warlord traits, stratagems, relics that can give or take away objective secured. So that's going to be, uh, you know, absolutely crucial for, you know, securing some of those extra little, um, you know, whatever it is we've spoke about today where these things have come up doing actions easier uh you know getting those supplementary primaries or you know getting those sticky objectives and keeping them to be yours so again um much more paramount is objective secured and troop battlefield role second to that um this is the sort of bonus one i would say if you don't have that access to that then take unit sizes of six or more have more durable larger units so that therefore if you've got a six man unit of swooping hawks they don't have the troop battlefield role but six swooping hawks are going to guarantee you uh you know a knackman data every single turn all right you don't have to roll you know on that time you roll a six and you're like oh i didn't do it this time and then you lose your unit again just take a unit uh, you know that one extra model because if it's going to get shot regardless of whether it's going to be susceptible to blast or not, it's not going to matter. It's probably dead. So just take the extra six model, you know, storm boys, just take six, don't take five uh, where possible. So just take those extra little models um, where you can. Um, that's going to certainly help you on those secondary considerations. One of the other things that you want to make sure is you just want more durable units as well that can stay alive uh, to do some of these actions for you as well. So certainly build into some durability rather than offense. Um, I would certainly lean towards because you're always in a little bit more control of your defense and your offense in most games. Include plenty of units where possible which have the pre-game move uh, ability or infiltrate. So anywhere where you can set up on the table um, or you can pre-game move. Or, you know, warlord traits, relics, stratagems that allow you to sort of hop around the table, um, you know, as in, you know, when you need to, are going to be really, really powerful in this edition uh, of the game. Um, so any, you know, stratagems or relics that you can have access to redeploy nine units away from your enemy unit is going to be great. Really, really good stuff. Fast combat units, you know, just to get in there, steal those objectives off your opponent, get that big four by, you know, taking your opponents off them, you know, combat units that can go in, clear an objective. So again, fast combat units. And if you can get some obsec on them as well, even better. Now, my final one, my final fifth tip is uh, include some psychers into your list to sort of open up some of those secondaries because you're always better off now having the option for mental interrogation or for warp ritual or pierce the veil than you would have been just not including one because gray knights were everywhere or 
thousand suns are everywhere at one time. We're not really in a heavy grey night or thousand sun meta so much as we were maybe a few months ago. So having a boar the witch as an option isn't necessarily great. There's no point catering for that one um, army was you're better off countering for all armies. So just incorporating some sort of psyker into your list. Inquisitors, for example, from Imperium armies could be a nice little addition if you've got the points um, or if you feel like you need them. So definitely a nice little addition there to help you with these secondaries. Awesome. Yeah, I know a lot of people were seeming to take, with that last point, a lot of people were seeming to take the psychers out of their army because they were so afraid of Wrath of Magnus and and Thousand Sons. Uh, and then, but then for whatever reason, people just haven't leaned too heavily. Grey Knights got a lot of attention, but uh, you know, Thousand Sons didn't get the love that I think a lot of us expected them to. I think it's a great codex. I'm surprised we haven't seen more lists, but that risk of running into that 1,000 of those players so low that you might as well put your psyker back in and get the Pierce the Veil, have the psychic interrogation. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, all right. So, um, We've covered the primaries. We've covered the secondaries. Um, I think it's time for our battle ready uh, segment with James from C Studios. Before we get that, I got one question for you that I wanted to ask. Do you think that any of that that the popularity of of the player place terrain and the player optimized terrain? Obviously, the the way LVO did it was great with the player optimized terrain. It was a big part of the the workshop that um, that you coached through the night before LVO. Do you think that that is going to be affected positively or negatively by these all these changes to the to the primaries and secondaries oh i mean i think definitely it's gonna all go together in the same direction to help us have more balanced and interactive games uh, making sure that we're not table turn one from you know having player optimized terrain um so i actually think it's, it's in a really really good place i'm you know i love player optimized terrain that frontline gaming have brought out uh, i certainly recommend it to most tournaments that they use their approach from frontline um and obviously this is something that we cover on the workshop in a lot more detail and also we're going to have academy lessons on it as well to cover everybody to make sure if you can't get to a um a workshop that you can still have our tutorage on how that all works because i think it's really important to make sure your terrain set up properly and then laying out your game plan with your deployment Awesome. All right. Now, now that I've rudely interrupted you like like a dirty American that I am, uh, we'll go back to what you were saying, the, the Battle Ready segment with James from Siege Studios. Let's head over to there now. So, James, you're up next. Welcome back to the show, James. Honestly, the feedback so far every week, you know, I think it's become some people's favorite segment. Um, oh, I'm very glad I can give back and help. So not a problem at all. No, I love it. Okay. Next question for you. Isn't necessarily a painting tip but more of a setup. So what would kind of like your ideal setup look like for your painting station? Because mine's always a mess, but I want to know, we've talked about uh, different types of thinners and different types of branches of colors and ranges. What is your kind of ideal painting setup? Uh, so I always have an airbrush. Um, so I'd probably recommend like a German sort of harder and steam back mid-range evolution, which are really, really good. Um, I think that's a great uh, obviously, I realise it's an investment, but it's a great starting airbrush. The uh, HNS Evolution. I'm not endorsed or sponsored, and neither is Siege, but it's just one we recommend. A um, couple of ranges of paint, so don't just stick to one. So I'd go probably Vallejo and, and GW to start off with. Um, thinners, Vallejo thinners are really good. Um, as for brushes, there's various different companies out there, so you can go with whichever brushes you you, you like or you prefer or you've tried. Um, 
but yeah, generally that that's it. And obviously pallets, I, I use a wet, a well pallet, so like a dry, a dry pallet, so to speak, just with the one of those round ones with the wells in it. And I also use a um, use a, a wet pallet. Um, so I use two uh, for different things, different techniques, different executions. Um, and, and yeah, just a really comfortable desk to sit at and a comfortable chair so that you're you can brace your elbows or forearms on a desk. Uh, and, and finally, the most important thing or two things I'll say is a light above you. Uh, so a decent, decent daylight above you um, uh, and also a cheap budget hairdryer that you can use for various different techniques and, and to speed you up as well. So what about paint storage? Is there any particular way you can keep things organized? Yeah, I'm, well, I, 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 again, I'm not saying these names to plug them purely because it's just what I use and what, I, what I've found works for me after trying many, many different things. Um, I, I use HobbyZone products for, for paint storage typically. Um, I've always used them. Uh, I think their storage system is very good. It's interlocking, it's magnetized, it allows you to change all the bits that you want. Uh, again, not endorsed, not affiliated in any way, shape or form. Uh, and I just want to say that as a caveat. Um, but yeah, I, I've always used it and I just find it works for me. So, uh, so yeah. I've tried using a nail varnish box as well. Yeah, they're really good as well. Yeah. Now, one thing about water, do you have a separate water cup for metallics and another one for sort yeah. of general yeah. colours? Yeah, I use two to three, one for metallics, one for acrylics, and then just a clean, just to, just to, especially for for um, metallics, just to make sure I get all that. Because you don't want to be like for washes and things like that, you don't want to be introducing the metallic pigments into into the um, into the, uh, the, the, the the sort of other paints into those washes, basically. So yeah, I, I normally use two to three water pots. That's great advice. More dangerous with the tea drinking, though. Increases the chances you'll drink your paint water. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it is. Honestly, James, thanks so much for coming on once again, giving this fantastic advice. I know it helps so many people and we get so many great messages about it. No, pleasure to be on here. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that is it. Thanks, James. And uh, thanks, Stephen, for uh, not just spending the time hanging out today, but uh, trusting me to to, uh, to run your baby here and and, uh, and handle the podcast for you. I hope I, uh, I met and exceeded standards. Uh, I, you know, it's crazy to think that three years ago I was commuting back and forth across Southern California and listening to this podcast, uh, which led me to join the Academy, which made me a better 40 K player. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's actually playing an LVO this year. So now I'm, and now I'm, it's come full circle and I get to host this podcast. It's great. And I, I appreciate you trusting me like this. I love this amazing game. I especially love talking 40 K with you and the rest of the VT team and the VT community. And I can't wait to continue to dive into ninth edition. Uh, and beyond on this podcast now. So uh, for those of you listening, the podcast will be back next week with Off the Table. Uh, these are the series of conversations between Stephen and our own Jake Harding about 40K, uh, not necessarily how to play the game, but uh, the other aspects around and off the tabletop, uh, beyond the tabletop. Uh, and then the following week, Stephen and I will be back. We're going to take a dive into the Tau Codex, which I am so excited about uh, as I'm currently dusting off my devilfish for the... Uh, the Major Mayhem Tournament here in Georgia in a couple of weeks. Uh, so with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. And uh, yeah, see you next week, everyone. <laughs>